0: Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. This past September, what might have been simmering just below the surface, reached a full boil. The seas of change were hitting women's magazines, hard. Robbie Myers, who had been steering the ship at Elle for the past 17 years, announced she was leaving the magazine. A short three days later, Cindy Levy made her move public. She was stepping down after a 16-year run as Glamour's youngest ever editor-in-chief. And right around the same time, Nancy Gibbs also ended her long tenure at Time Magazine. Meanwhile, over at InStyle, Laura Brown was just hitting her year mark as their newly minted editor-in-chief. This particular anniversary also noted another milestone in Brown's life. It was exactly 16 years ago that the native Australian moved to New York. Even though she started out back then with just a few thousand bucks in the bank and no industry contacts, it wasn't long before Brown landed herself a features gig at Harper's Bazaar. A legendary title where she spent 11 years honing her skills and her style rising to executive editor and infusing her own brand of cheek into nearly 120 cover features, fitting preparation for her role steering what is likely America's most popular celebrity fashion magazine. But like I mentioned earlier, the seas of change are, well, changing. And Brown's refreshing, relatable approach to celebrity, they really are just like us. As well as her knack of folding timely political and social issues into the magazine's steady stream of pop culture, have been just a few of the ways Laura Brown began to make her millennial mark. It's a rare editor or journalist who can get a famous person to air her dirty laundry. But that's the kind of thing that Laura almost invented, because it's become the quirky premise for her new video series dubbed Dirty Laundry, in which she hosts IT women like Rose Byrne, Priyanka Chopra, and Alexa Chung in a laundromat, swapping stories and witty quips in equal measure. As a New World editor, video is a priority for Laura, she also has a keen focus on engagement and pushing the power of social media, something she's personally a pro at. Her mantra for InStyle is a literal interpretation of the title. It's about what's in the cultural zeitgeist. Actors, models, designers, Insta stars, as well as artists and politicians, and magazine editors. Because as Laura Brown has proven, they can be the biggest stars of our time too. Thank you so much for being a guest on UnStyle today. Thank you. Good
1: morning. Good morning. We're so chirpy.
0: I know. With mm. our juices and our coffee and our... and our Joie de vivre
1: and our mixed prints. Just yes. just know out there, everyone, that we're wearing mixed prints and we go perfectly together. We're clashing in all the right, right ways. ways.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I'd like to call you a friend. We've been friends for... I, 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 I dare you. <laughs> we are
1: friends, everybody. We're, we're coming out with it. You were an editor at 19. 1920, I finished college. Well, I guess I was an editor. I guess I was an assistant. I, well, yeah, I had a job. In Australia, our arts degrees are three years, so not four years here. So, And I was young for my year in school, so I went to college at 17. So I was finished basically by 19. But then I got this job at this magazine called Australian Family. And uh, that's when I have to go back into my native uh, patois. It's closed down after three months. I had a history of working for a number of magazines that closed down basically after I walked in the door. My second job was a, a magazine called Mode, where I was kind of an assistant, but I, I ended up doing production. So sort of like a baby managing editor. We had computers, but they were not like anything in the 1880s. And... Um, <laughs> And But I would have to handwrite everything out and chase everybody for their deadlines, and I was that guy. But I wanted to write so badly that I would, you know, sit there at night and write sort of the upfront kind of news pages and, and the fashion gossip and everything else, and you would just spend your time off the clock, you know, doing that. And
0: when did you decide that you wanted to move to New York? ha ah, And why? Because um, there's actually a good number of, of, of really high-quality publications in Australia. Oh, big time, yeah. there's big a, time. There's a big fashion scene there.
1: There is. I mean, you know – for the for the size of the population, there really is. Um, look, I think that when you do what what we do, f- fashion, pop culture, culture, arts, whatever you want to call it there's something about wanting to be on the front lines of it and especially when i was younger australia wasn't you know you'd get these shiny copies of vogue or harper's bazaar or whatever and it was you know delivered like 3 months late with all the supermodels on them and all the movie stars and part of being a journalist or part of being producers with everything now but like is wanting just to see something with your own eyes and i and i just felt like it was it was sort of diluted coming to me in Australia, and I was just—I remember there was some Helmet Lang show, and I—I I, I wrote about it from online. And I just was like, I just want to see the bloody Helmet Lang show, and it didn't matter that it was Helmet Lang; it was just illustrated. Can I just make up my mind because I'm in the room? I in my head, I was—I mean, I lived in London for a couple of years and did the sort of standard like backpacking, you know, thing, and sort of freelancing in London, and took myself off to the Paris shows on my own and did all of that. <laughs> Don't recommend that. I went to Paris for like five days, got like row, I don't even know the rows, J, is there a row J?
0: Like, I was in row like, G once. Yeah. I was like, who
1: like, even has a row G? Even, apparently they, you can go all the way back in the alphabet and that's where I was. <laughs> and I would like go to like the Anne de Moulin show or the, whatever it was that I could get tickets for as representing bizarre Australia. And <laughs> And it was like, as far as I knew, models were just like flo- floating torsos because I couldn't <laughs> see anything else. And uh, and I and I wouldn't, I didn't talk to anybody who wasn't a waiter for like five days because I didn't know anyone. And it was raining and people were mean and and I, but I just wanted to go see it so badly that I just went on my own. And it was very weird i mean i'm glad i'm so glad i did it but it was like that was hardcore that's like
0: so intimidating it was i remember the first time i went to the paris shows and i know that everyone out there probably think that the fashion shows in europe are so glamorous and it's (laughs) really fun and in some ways it is but it can be Mm -hmm. extremely stressful and anxiety ridden and just getting in and out and the the schedules are so packed
1: in the rain uh (laughs) um and even when you've got a you know quote unquote big job. You're you're still at nine AM because you've been told to get there at nine AM standing in the rain and un- taking cover with random people and being like, this this is the dream <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think we had like an early dinner or a drink or something mm. in Tribeca a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. we we're first starting to get to know each other, and you said something that really stayed with me for a long time. I still think about it. It's probably one of the most profound things anyone said had said to me about this industry. Is you said, "Why aren't there more funny people in fashion?" <laughs> and yeah. still asking. And I think that we were like <laughs> counting them, and there was like yeah. ma- I think there was really three that you know people that had uh, that were openly cool. sort of yeah. making it a part of their had their come point of view. Out. Exactly, they'd come out. About being funny. The sense of humor and the sort of approach mm. was really a part of their writing. It was yeah. part of their career and, like I said, their point of view. And But I think the fact that you do have such a identifiable, contagious sense right. of humor. You were at Harper's Bazaar as one, mm. of, one of the executive editors there, mm-hmm. and you did over 100 celebrity covers, something I, yeah, like that. Yeah, I
1: think it was like – I, mean, I, could, I could count. On it. it was like 11 years, and it was about – 10 to 12 a year, so it was like 120.
0: One of the things I loved so much about your celebrity covers is they were occasionally funny. Right. There was something about them that did, and it was always a part of our approach at Refinery 29 to sort of establish this peer-to-peer conversation right for me
1: a person at a moment in time and here's the conversation with somebody and obviously i know their history because we're all awake and we know all these women pretty much i was like here's what christine's doing today and uh, where she is at then having that conversation just evolve in that moment and i think that's so revealing about people without having to front or backload all of the history and everything else because i think we're we're so privy to that um so yeah just giving this sort of almost casual like, like snapshot yeah and i think that they, and you build up a certain amount of trust with people over that when you have that sort of format. And I also I've been doing it for so long that they end up giving you more in that sort of easy way than they would if you started hitting them with, you know, that time when you said, you know what I mean? I think that that's not, not where, in the long game. Grilling never
0: it, really goes over well. It
1: doesn't. And I don't, you know, it's so old fashioned. And and I think that you actually get a more entertaining and, and and illuminating story if you just have some ease and trust with who you're talking to.
0: You took over in style which is probably America's most popular fashion magazine. Yeah. And especially known for its commitment to really covering celebrities and kind of making that connection between pop mm-hmm. culture and and fashion mm-hmm. which is total so up your alley. Right. But there's a lot of transformation happening at some of the most historic women's magazines, at Glamour, at Elle. Mm-hmm. But you're really fresh right now and at the beginning of this I'm journey. Fresh. 43
1: and fresh. You're fresh. I mean, for me, I always have to make a big thing small, number one. Because uh, when I first looked at the pie chart of the size of InStyle compared to all the other magazines, I almost had a stroke.
0: Um, what does I, that mean? What's a pie, what a do you pie chart, mean the pie chart? A pie chart? chart yeah. This,
1: like, little, like, so there's like Cosmo, which is the <clears> biggest <throat> women's magazine in the world. Then there's Us. Mm-hmm. Then there's everybody else, yeah, in, in smaller increments. And uh, oh, and
0: that scared you because you, you're so big. Well, no, big. it was
1: just so. I was like, whoa, okay. And 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 I think that I've always, I think why they hired me, and I think what I trust in myself is that I do have an approachable voice, whatever I'm covering, whoever I'm involving in the magazine. So. I think where it had been was kind of this sort of I call it cashmere and malibu um, this kind of like you know lady and and, and I think that that, w- that was great can for you, a Can you can you do the voice? Can you do the cashmere and malibu cashmere voice? Cashmere Malibu. <laughs> I sorry I turned from English but I'm wearing my cashmere and malibu. I'll see you there. No. But it just was that kind of idea and I think that had a currency for a long long time. I think that what we've all noticed is celebrity itself has changed. So it's not just a movie star or a TV star anymore. It's a model. It's a designer. So that very definition I wanted to broaden. And ironically, through uh, I've added certainly more of a high fashion lens to it. But you know the people in the pages now. Like you know every single person that's on those pages. You know them better actually than what you would have known a couple of years ago. So they are actually more identifiable even if they are, you know, more – more fashionable political more of a designer and then i just distill what they're saying into an approachable way and anybody that even writes for the magazine if they are the quote unquote shiny people i have them write about a common experience that they share that we all do so which brings them into a more inclusive world and i think that i just want everyone to be a contributor like i in the September issue, we had 52 contributors, and I just made them all take a selfie, and I have shoved them all on the page like a yearbook, you know. And I'm like, okay, Stephen Colbert and Mark Jacobs and Carolyn Murphy and Dita Von Teese and and Roxanne Gay and just bleh, all of you, just come, you know. And it's um, an incredible and like, that's, that's, mix that's, of
0: voices. Yeah,
1: but they—that's uh, the idea of style, I guess. Strangely, there's yes, there's some there's some people that go like it's changed too much for me, or I want to be told how to put on my pants or whatever, or it's or it's more liberal than it used to be. But it's it's also a weird thing. Those people I hear from, there's a very much a generational situation. You get letters at instyle.com, you know, which is a very sort of old school way of communicating with a magazine. But then I realized... Do you get real letters, like in envelopes? I do. I got one for about our Bella Hadid cover, which was August, and I put her in a long, beautiful pink, long sleeve Valentino dress and big pink boots. And some lady, bless her, had, like, typewritten, like... What is this cover? And why would she be wearing a long sleeve dress in August and those pink boots? And where is the smile on her face? And why would she put this ridiculous get up together? And I, it was so brilliant that I actually, I'm really good friends with Pierpaolo Piccioli, who designs Valentino. And I sent him this note. And he said, Oh my God, I love it. I said, I'm going to get it framed. So he's got this letter in this pink frame in the, in the, in the Valentino office. She's in famous Rome. now. Yeah. So I was like, it was so rad because everything about it, she was like, I don't. And I was like, you know what? Fair enough, lady. Like, I mean, you think you think it's too hot for that dress and and Bella should smile? Probably right. Sometimes you get these absolute gems. And and but also the new letters page is Twitter, is Instagram likes, is Instagram comments. That's the letters page of, of today. So the feedback has been awesome. You know, I took a hard right for more of an industry play as well, put a couple of models on there to work on our teams and better photographers. And now it's evening out a little bit. I think September issue really illustrated well. I'm gonna go with it which is it's broad there is a model but there is a comedian and there is an an actress and there's everybody in there and I think that then that's that's settling it a little bit but you have to you know I mean I I wanted to take its ass and kick it and I did pretty soundly yeah (laughs) when it comes to your finances you think you've done it all you've saved you've researched and you've invested all that you can now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor Yahoo Finance
0: It's stressful being an editor-in-chief, isn't it? It's an awesome,
1: awesome job to have. Um, but you, you work for it. Like, it, you really do. There's no coasting, um, especially now. Especially now with the industry as it is. This is not the days of town cars and expense accounts and flying DJs to For some DJs people it shoots. seems it still is. But I think they're, having, I, they're getting rude
0: shocks, I think, th- those types. Bless them. That's another question yeah. I wanted to ask is on a role like yours, you know, having you in a, in a meeting with a brand partner mm-hmm. or an organization, a foundation, you know, anybody that really wants to benefit from the the shine uh, and the sparkle of, mm-hmm. in, of InStyle. How do you feel about straddling that, those two parts um, of the business? A lot of editors have problems with yeah,
1: it. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. You just want to sort of stay in and edit. You know what I mean? You can't really do that anymore. I think it's the best way is to sort of always say underthink it a bit. Like you're, you're speaking about your brand and your brand message to whoever it is. And that should be, if it's consistent, it's not hard. Sometimes you'll tailor your conversation to whoever movie you're talking to. If it's an auto person, if it's an auto advertiser versus a philanthropic thing versus a celebrity, you know, I mean, if at heart, your ideas are consistent and what you stand for is consistent then it's not difficult it's difficult if if you've got to do six of them in a day <laughs> because if you if you're proud of what you've you've done and you're proud of your work and your team is proud of their work and and people are noticing what you're doing i'm happy to talk about it i happy to talk about it all day. It's just sometimes when I when then when there's a lot of talking about it, you get a little bit tired. But I stand behind it, and and it's a consistent conversation. So yeah, yeah. I'm ha- and I'm happy to like. I mean, I went to Detroit a little while ago and um, met with a bunch of auto automakers, and I hadn't done that yet, and that was fascinating. You know, to to go
0: and see Detroit what they're doing. A really exciting city right oh, now. Oh, it's so
1: awesome. Um, But, you know, and then got a a story idea from – I met with people from GMC and they were telling me about the woman that designs all their trucks is like a tea-drinking English lady. And I was like – And she lives in Detroit. Tell me who this is. And now we've just profiled her in this new uh, series, We – have launched uh, called "Badass Woman," which you guys so kindly wrote about. So I got, you know, I got to go and meet all these people in a different industry from me, share Insta with them, and I came back with an idea for something. So that's I'm not going to get that if I don't go to Detroit and meet these people. So it works. It works out. I, there's a million different businesses that everybody's trying to run. I need to see, especially without without partnerships, how ours can work together to, you know frankly, make money for both of us. And that's we all have to do that at the end of the day. Otherwise, we do not have jobs.
0: Going back to the space of of women's media really shifting Mm -hmm. right now, one of the many reasons that we we launched Refinery29 13 years ago was because we felt like it's 13 years ago. It's crazy. But that we really felt like there was a need for a much more democratic, much more approachable kind of conversation and also means of delivering information and tools and and inspiration to an audience without it feeling so so prescriptive, what do you hope really comes out of this big shift in women's media? We had to wake up. We were forced to,
1: you know, and I think that um, politically, obviously. Well, I think what we're all facing is sort of every magazine, website, brand, we call it, you know, how woke we're all going to be. Like everyone's sort of like a woke off at this point and I think that's going <laughs> to, no one's asleep sleeping because they're so woke all day. It's going to settle because what we're in a situation of now is facing, dealing with this administration in a way that is appropriate for all of our, our brands. But I think the questions for the people that are going to be hiring for these brands is how far into it are they going to get? How politically engaged do they want to get? Considering their readerships, the breadth of their readerships. It's, it's a very tricky question because like I'm a huge admirer of what Teen Vogue has done but you can't have 13 Vogues. And I have personally, a, a, we have a very, extremely broad readership for InStyle. So I'm like, I'm not going to just Trump bash all day. I'm going to be positive and proactive. And, and, to, and like when the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out, we had already had an essay by Gretchen Carlson about sexual harassment that we put out there. So it's like, here's how I owned what was happening to me, and here's what you can do. So that's how I'm always going to approach that. It's a really interesting time. And whether the people that are hiring for these, well, these positions or maybe there's sort of one left or there's a lot of other change going on, I would urge them not to knee-jerk into like digital first people all the time because there still needs to be people that can tell a story within a, on a page and create a narrative on a page. And you can be as digitally savvy as ever, but when oftentimes these magazines are still the root of the tree. We did a September cover with Selena Gomez and with her, you know, Selena's, what is she at, 128 million Instagram followers. She still comes to InStyle for the cover shoot and the cover of the magazine. Mm -hmm. Print ain't dead. It's not going to be dead. And the most special magazines are going to survive. And they need to have that anchor, that storytelling anchor, big time. In our December issue, uh, we have a profile of former Vice President Joe Biden. And I wrote it and um, I spent some time with him. And Maria Sorrenti took the pictures and it is... Mm -hmm wonderful. And we've done a, a, a special 10,000 uh, issue run of a subscriber cover with with uh, with Biden on it. And Why did you make the time to write that story? Because if people I respect, I will make the time. I made the time for Steven and I was lucky to have, look, I'm I'm thrilled that they've chosen InStyle and after only a year, you know what I mean? And only like eight issues really out in the public. Congratulations. Thanks! I get so proud of that and I can go, I, I, three months I'm happy now. You know what I mean? All when right. we've just done it, something wonderful and it's not just a instagram or it's not just a piece of news on 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 a website it's that got that hit for a day and disappeared it's something that's really lasting and it's a really good read and he's incredible and necessary to hear from right now and that's what i want to do more of
0: You took over it in style. You did a, an interview with Business of Fashion. You talked about feeling like an outsider in the fashion industry. What, is, what does that mean exactly? I didn't sort of, I guess
1: I always call it the fashion movie. I wasn't in the fashion movie. Like I just kind of got to where I am. I think it's just through my personality, obviously my ability to to do the work, my currency and what I stand for and who I am and success that I've achieved and Insta has achieved in some way because of that. I can stand up straight and go, I'm owning what I do. And I came from nothing and nowhere really and, and have this job. So it gives me like a, I kind of don't give a shit. Sorry for the bad word. That's okay. You know, I'm giving less and less of a shit. I'm becoming more honey badger. You remember that honey badger video? Yeah, honey badger. Honey badger don't give a shit. Yeah, I am becoming more like that. Okay,
0: that's a good attitude. It's liberating. Yeah,
1: but I do think there is there is a warming up generally. I think that again, people are understanding that there's bigger battles to fight than who sits in what row of a fashion show. And I,
0: I did sense this season a lot more warmth than I than I ever had. I do still think that the industry suffers from a bit of a mean girl complex, mm-hmm. and I try to always remind myself that that really comes from just feeling scared and insecure in yourself. And I think that that tends to perpetuate or emerge as a mean girl complex, but it right. isn't always that case. You know, what's
1: though, it was funny though because it was—it feels like such a throwback now. I was at this Dolce Gabbana show in in Milan, and I was sitting around two men who were just bitching out everyone across from them, and it just seemed. No, no, it wasn't obviously it was mean, but it seemed so old-fashioned. Mm. I was like, legit? Like you're like bitching about that girl's shoes? Like come on. Like as Joe Biden would say, come on man. Like but it's just like was pretty what? shitty. But it seemed but I was I was reassured in some ways that that seemed unusual.
0: You noticed that it seemed less out of place, typical,
1: you know, or at least, you know, and I was like, "Oh, get out of your yeah, it was kind of amazing, but it it didn't seem like it was as par for the course as it used to be. Yeah, which I'm happy to report.
0: The fashion industry is is in somewhat of a bit of turmoil right now as well.
1: Turmoil everywhere. You're nothing if you're not in turmoil.
0: Well, transformation turmoil, <laughs> whatever you'd like <laughs> no, to call it. But everyone
1: is it literally are. Everyone's churning. It's very odd It time. is. Yeah. But
0: what do you what do you hope that at least through your the, your role in style, but mm. how do you hope that, you know, fashion brands can can better connect with women? Like what is the role that they you really want to see them playing more in their lives? I think
1: it all comes down to voice. And a brand that has a voice. I agree. And I, it sounds like an old fashioned thing, but like if a magazine or a designer, but you know who I think who's really connected and who I... I think is wonderful is um Brandon Maxwell mm-hmm. who He has loved clothes. He's from Texas. You know, sometimes he says he eats too much. He's like, he gets all insecure and worried before his show. He's very emotional and he shows it. People love him. He's kind to women. He doesn't just just dress women who are models, even though he loves models and he thinks models are amazing. He works with all kinds of ladies. He loves them. And you can tell, and he makes beautiful clothes, but that's almost secondary because there's so much goodwill around him. And you want to go to his show and see some young man who who loves what he's doing. And that's and And that's his voice and that voice look how much success he's had in a really short time because of his voice so I think that that is be yourself or even just make the one thing that you know women are gonna love and also like if you're gonna be a designer like put on a show or do appointments like this sort of in between thing where everybody feels sort of obligated to go to like for example in New York like Marc Jacobs Puts on a show, and I will always applaud him for that. And he is a showman till the end. And I love going there and seeing what he's going to do. I also go for some designers who I just love who go and see the clothes at an appointment or a presentation, and that's absolutely fine too. But because then you, you actually gotta, get to interact with the yeah, designer. You've got to really be sure of what your character is and what you're going to say, and that will distinguish you. When you just when you feel that cynicism of people just making the new bag and the this and that, they're not going to last. They're really not going to last. And I mean that for anybody in the industry. Period. You just vacillate. And you just make stuff and you are cynical about how you price it or who, who can wear it or any of that kind of stuff.
0: That just seems old news now, too. Okay, last little tidbit. Mm. Who are the most fun people that you've ever interviewed oh. Oh or done God. a cover story with? Just the um, top three.
1: Uh, Tilda Swinton. Why? She's just freaking smart and I could talk to her all day. And like she's she's spectral smart, but you can still like have like funny jokes about people's bad Botox. Like she's awesome. Who else? Colbert? He is one of the most thoughtful interviews I've done. Uh, you know, he can obviously he's hilarious and he can do all of that, but he will give you an answer five laps beyond where you thought you were gonna where you thought you were gonna be, and actually stops me, stopped me, and makes me think. You know, so I, which I appreciate
0: because I can be a his commentary but, you know, on on all, all the sort of Trump and political yeah. stuff has been so yeah. spot on.
1: Yeah, so he's he's major. Amelia Clark, Khaleesi mm-hmm. from Game of Thrones. Um, she. I take pride in sort of pushing her to go on Instagram and now she's got like 10 million followers. But she <laughs> is so Was funny. she not on Instagram before No. no. I mean, she's been <gasps> oh on for a while well now, like a couple of years, I guess. But. She should give you a couple of, you know, a yeah. couple of shout-outs there. No, she has. No, but I mean, the point being is so funny, all these girls that you know are going to have a really good voice and then they go on and like – and she her hashtags are hilarious. She takes a piss out of Game of Thrones all the time. <sighs> she's a really funny kind of bawdy – um, interview and she's not so conditioned like the other girls are. And I understand why the other girls are conditioned because they've been doing this for so long. And it's just going to be like, I love interior design. That's great. But, you know, I just like, I like, the, I do kind of like the English girls sometimes because they're kind of a little more honey badger. But when you get that kind of new girl on a cover that is less sort of programmed, that's always really fun. And that's when I'll put my hand up um, for those kind of interviews. But I will like, I mean, personally, I, I like to try and speak to the most diverse bunch of people I can. You know, and I do love talking to the dudes, you know, because that's a new thing for me. So I'll I'll do a bit more of that. Well,
0: I'm so happy that you made the time to come to be a guest on UnStyle today. I love, love, love talking to you. I could listen to your dulcet tones all day. Oh, thanks. So dulcet. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And congratulations on all your success at UnStyle.
1: Oh, thanks. I'm going to go take a nap. Okay.
0: (laughs) Bye. 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 I hope you're inspired after hearing Laura's story. For even more Unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag Unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more and make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Sarah Bernard, associate produced by Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena. Copy support was provided by Elizabeth Kiefer. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruest at Argo Studios. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with Sophia Bush on finally rewriting the rules of your own life.